0: hello welcome to the podcast psychiatry talk i'm dr michael bluenfield the sydney e. frank distinguished professor emeritus of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at new york medical college and currently in private practice in woodland hills los angeles california this podcast will examine various topics in psychiatry and mental health this will include new interviews with experts in various areas as well as interviews I've recorded in the past. I will also personally discuss subjects that I've written about in my blog, psychiatrytalk.com, or on new topics. Your comments will always be welcome at mblumenfield at gmail.com. That's mblumenfield, B-L-U-M-E-N-F-I-E-L-D at gmail.com. And now let's get going with today's podcast. The following is an interview I did with Dr. Marianne Eckhart in 2013. Dr. Eckhart is a well-known psychiatrist and psychoanalyst who is also the daughter of famed pioneer psychoanalyst Dr. Karen Hornay. Dr. Eckhart was a 100 years old when I interviewed her five years ago. She currently resides in New York. This is Dr. Michael Blumenfield. I'm with Dr. Marianne Eckhart, the 17th president of the Academy of Psychoanalysis and Dynamic Psychiatry. Dr. Eckhart was president in 1972 and 1973. Uh, Welcome and thank you for doing this interview. You're very welcome. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up and and the, uh, your early years, just uh, to give us an idea about uh, where you were raised?
1: Uh, well, the, I think what um, is relevant is that uh, yeah, at the time that, that I was born, my mother uh, was a resident in psychiatry, and she already was um, being analyzed by uh, um, uh, Abraham, and uh um, um so you know so I have you know somewhere psychoanalysis in my in my environment <laughs> oh, and, then, and, then- and uh you know, you know then during my childhood, she was uh definitely in private practice, yeah. Now, uh-huh.
0: now, you were born in, and raised during your early years in Berlin, Germany. Is that true?
1: I, I was born, yeah, in 1913 at the beginning of World War One,
0: Uh-huh. And, yeah. I, I read somewhere that when you were a child in Berlin, being the daughter of a psychoanalyst, that you were sent to see uh, Dr. Melanie Klein, as were the daughters of other analysts. Uh, is yeah, that well, you- Melanie
1: Klein... Um, it, it was in Berlin, came from, uh, well, from Vienna or wherever she came from, from uh, uh, Romania, and uh, came to Berlin for a few years before she went to England. And, uh, uh, you know, at that time, uh, they, the belief was that uh, um, if you... Um, could analyze children early, you did a preventive job, so all the children of the analysts were sent to Melanie Klein for preventive reasons, not because they necessarily had any problems uh. but uh, uh basically it was um you know in my memory a completely uh a ridiculous ritual because uh um, I, I went to see her and was uh, lying on the couch. I was 10 or 11 years old. And, uh, um, I would tell her, uh, what happened from the time I left her to the time, you know, I was, came with her. And she sort of never seemed to, um, object to that. And, and I had a good sense of timing. So, 10 minutes before our, our session was over i would stop and she would then tell me something about uh, you know i don't know something that's related to uh, uh you know that whatever whatever i was doing had some sexual meaning and um, you know so i took that in my stride but that it was really a totally meaningless procedure And I was very glad when she left.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, thank you for that, for that memory. Well, what made, what made you decide to become a physician? Uh, well,
1: um, well, I became a physician, um, you know, at the time, um, you know, one in, I was still in Germany when I graduated from, of the gymnasium at uh, 17, and then one entered the university and one had to choose um uh, really already uh, a discipline. So the choices were that one went, uh, you know, became a teacher or one, uh, you know, went into law or so, but, you know, a lot of the really also my schoolmates there, uh, the girls, we, we went into medicine. Um because that's of all, you know, it seems still the best choice that we had. So that uh, it was, uh, you know, we were really too young to decide and, and, um, you know, there was no period like college, uh, because,
0: uh,
1: we really didn't get, get much, um uh, teaching in the liberal arts. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. And, and when did, when did you, uh, come to the United States and, and then, uh, and what, you were know, the cir- after,
1: what were the circumstances? Well, then? Uh, yeah, after, you know, my pre, preclinical years, my, my mother was, yeah, this is very important because my mother really had the good fortune to be asked by Franz Alexander, who had been in Berlin before, um, to come, uh, to the States in 1932, um, to be a co-director with him of the first uh psychoanalytic institute which he founded in Chicago, okay. and uh, th- th- that was really you know and you know, and um, given given the political situation, it was very fortunate. I at that time was already in medical school and I had to stay another year in order to. Um, um, Passed the the midterm exam midterm in terms of the total um, uh years of medical school um the physicum and then so i uh, came uh, i followed her in 1933 just as Hitler you
0: know took power in germany
1: mm-hmm. so that
0: was tremendously fortunate mm-hmm was it a, a difficult decision for you to to become to decide oh, no, no it, to, wasn't, to decide? it wasn't
1: difficult no uh, it wasn't there was no 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 no, it wasn't it was offered to me on a silver platter and, and by that time uh you know the situation was already politically you know, very bad because um really hitler took over in Jan, in early yeah you know, january 1933 and I left in, in August 1933 so um uh I was extremely happy to be able to to leave right. um, and, and a lot of my friends who had been Jewish had already sort of escaped from Germany before
0: that. Yeah. I I I was wondering was it a difficult decision to to decide to become a psychiatrist?
1: Oh to to, to become a psychiatrist Well... Well, and when I left in '33, you know, I uh, and then still had to complete medical school, and you know, I was fortunate enough to enroll at the University of Chicago, and uh, the University of Chicago was uh, at that time still a very young, young medical school, and did not have a psychiatric department. It only. Um, had a, a bigger developed in the, the department of psychiatry um in in uh, at the time when I was an intern several years later uh, so that during my uh, my medical studies, I did not have a single psychiatric lecture and uh um and still you know people knowing that I was the daughter of Karen Hall, I Expected me to know, um uh, something about it. So, uh, I know I had to fill the hole. So after my internship, I decided to take a psychiatric residency. So I sort of rolled into, um, you know, into the field because after, um, you know, after three years of residency, I had a job in the outpatient department and I got into analysis and then I, uh, uh, and in a psychoanalytic institute, my mother's psychoanalytic institute, so, you know, I just, as I say, rolled into the field, but I don't regret it, because it was, a, you know, extremely, uh, I loved it, I loved the work. Yeah. But it was not not, not done um, with any deliberation.
0: <laughs> um, what, what was the field of psychiatry like during your training?
1: Uh, I don't, I, uh, I don't know how to answer that question okay.
0: were they doing electric shock therapy uh what were, were there were there organic types of treatment or was it mainly um psychoanalytically oriented in in the environment that you were in well um uh, in the well when
1: I, went, I well i went was um a resident at the pain clinic under um that was run by us Os- by Oscar Diethelm and he was a student of uh uh, uh of um Adolf Meyer. So um he, you know he, and Adolf Meyer sort of developed really an interest in psychotherapy, though he was not for a, a psychoanalysis. Um and uh uh and uh, no, uh, and, and, and at the pain with they didn't do any shock therapy there. There was just sort of some residential treat, treatment. And also, uh, at that point, they hadn't developed many drugs yet. So, uh, um, uh, there was really, um, uh, treatment was really very, no, very minimal. No, mm-hmm.
0: and and of course at that time uh, Sigmund Freud was was alive and was uh, was writing, and uh, uh, I know he also came to the United States uh, briefly. Um, so I assume you were very aware of the things that he was writing and talking about at that time. Um. Yes. Um. Yeah. Well. Uh, Yes, but that
1: was you know at the time when I began to enroll and uh the the uh, uh you know in the organization that my mother had uh, uh had helped help found uh that, that that was a very uh you know she had already um uh, developed her own ideas and she had been, um, uh, she had res- uh, resigned uh, uh, from the New York Psychoanalytic as, uh, Association because they withdrew her teaching privileges, and, I mean, because she had, um, um, you know, developed her own ideas and had um, I had published a book that was called "New New Ways in Psychoanalysis." So basically, I was not um, based um, in, uh, with much of a knowledge of Freudian theory. Um, I was really much
0: more nourished by uh, by the dissenters. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh, okay. And uh, you mentioned some of your. Your teachers, are, are there any other teachers or supervisors who influenced you during your training and during your early years in the field?
1: Yes, well there was, um, in my analyst was Eric Fromm, so I was very much influenced by, by him, and especially, you know, at the time when I was in analysis here, he, um, had just published Escape from Freedom, and, uh, um, but I you know was later i read many of his other books um uh, and then there were were the, I was close with also um Clara Thompson, who um really helped found the william Allison white foundation uh institute and, and she was related to Sullivan and I also heard some lectures by Sullivan. So, I was influenced certainly by From and by Sullivan, and um, as I say really much more by the the people that broke away from fraud and by a uh, really forging term of ideology you know itself uh-huh. and uh and my mother developed of course her own school of thought, and the influence on me was um uh, you know that because there were then so many splits in the organization because the there's then really very much uh and you know the tension developed uh you know in and between the dissenters and uh um i uh became very much aware that uh 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 you know, that, that, uh, <clears throat> I was not, uh, going to belong to any ideological school because, uh, pa- patients, uh, you know, where, uh, uh, I mean, the patients were not theory and that, uh, you know, schools were really there as guides, but not as something to belong to and, uh, and to be used as uh, the mark of, of identification.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> you mentioned the the uh, William Allison White and uh, and you. The, there was, of course, the split between the American Institute of Psychoanalysis, which I believe was your mother's group, and the Williamson William Allison White Institute and the Flower Fifth Avenue group. Do you? Yeah, know?
1: the Flower Fifth Avenue group. Yeah, you know, my, you know, after my mother was. After her teaching privileges were withdrawn, you know, she walked out together with Clara Thompson, also five other people, and then they immediately founded the new organization, the Association for the Advancement of Psychoanalysis, and uh, and the Institute of the American Institute of Psychoanalysis. Um and uh that organization started with a wonderful you know and to be you know there for uh anybody who wanted you know, to present any new ideas but within the next uh uh three years it split you know twice, and the first group split off on the on the around the issue. Of having, uh, uh between, you know, ha- having, uh, PhDs belonged, um, uh, and while the, my, my mother's group and the people that were there were in favor of just having MDs. And so they, you know, William Allison White, the, the, the groups that, uh, you know, to that group belonged, throughout Thompson and uh, and and uh, really, they were very much associated with Sullivan. Uh-huh. Sullivan uh, had created um, in in Washington uh, uh, the Washington School of Psychiatry, in which he created as a form for people. Uh, really, to present their ideas, it wasn't a school; it was a forum where anybody could teach there and could teach um, anything. And it was a lovely, very open-minded institution. And um, he had had the idea of, of um, the dream of uh, possibly establishing, you know, a, a branch of the Washington School of Psychiatry in New York. So when the split occurred, um, you know Sullivan to organize really the William Alston White Institute, but that was not a forum, but it became really an institute that uh, basically favored Sullivan's ideas. Now, mm-hmm.
0: and uh, and what do you recall about the founding of the American Academy of Psychoanalysis?
1: Well, uh, after the splits which occurred between, you know, 40, 41 and 44, uh, and there were some other splits. There was the group around, uh, Brado and, um, Cardinal and so on that, uh, split off from the New York Psychoanalytic and, and, uh, became, no, uh, it has a different name. Uh, became a group associated with Columbia University, and there were also many other splits in other cities because the uh, uh, American Psychoanalytic Association had become very um, rigid and very orthodox, so in many cities there there, there was a ferment of uh, restlessness and a desire to have some freedom of uh, of ideas so that uh, there were people really in uh, chicago and in boston and in detroit and los angeles and new orleans and washington dc um, that really favored you know where we had a dream of really creating a new organization which would be an umbrella uh, Really, for all of these organizations, I mean, basically, would be a forum, not not a training institute. So um, um, there was and there was a lot of enthusiasm in um, in the air uh, to form such a such an open forum, and uh, a lot of uh, uh, really careful consideration went into. The creation of um, of the American Academy of Psychoanalysis, and um, yeah, I was there at the um, founding meeting of um, at the, at the no I was there at the meeting when um, when when the, when the when we discussed the founding of the American Academy of Psychoanalysis, which was in December 1955, and um, there were, this was in New York at Flower Medical School, New York College, and uh, the room was absolutely packed, and there was great excitement. And uh, you know, it, it was decided to have this new organization, which would be just a form, and which would not be involved in licensing and accrediting, you know, institutes, because they did not want any power power clique to take over and ideologize it in any way. And it was it was very very successful. And then the the organization actually was founded, um, in, uh, in, uh, uh, this was in May 1956. Uh, and, um, and Janet Ryok was the first president and the constitution was adopted and we had a wonderful constitution, um uh, and which was ba- basically written by Jules Massaman had a lot of in- input into that uh And then the first meeting of the um uh, American Academy of psychoanalysis was the following year that is in and then in 15, in may fifty seven and in chicago and that was a wonderful meeting with um, um a div- diversity of uh programs that was very fascinating
0: yeah <laughs> So were there uh some other key members in the founding that you haven't mentioned that you want to uh uh give credit to who were involved in that uh Chicago? Well, I mean
1: there was well a, 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 yes, I mean Jewish Messerman and Roy were in uh, you know in Chicago uh, very very active. And um, there was Janet Ruk on Clara Thompson and some others in Washington that were very active. Mm-hmm. uh and there the, there was uh, about <clears throat> yeah, San uh really in New York um and you know many others uh, and there was Miram in in San Francisco um so uh, there was uh, really a, a great deal of it uh of uh, excitement about really creating this this new very vital organization.
0: Mm-hmm. It must have been a very exciting time.
1: It was very exciting. It was very exciting and very congenial because we we all felt that this was an historic event of uh, really a sort of establishing a, a freedom. Uh, form with freedom of ideas where really, you know, we were encouraging people to really develop their own ideas. Mm-hmm. No, it was very exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I know that, uh, around that time, uh, you went back to Germany with your husband, Wolf von Eckhart, who was a journalist involved with the Nuremberg trials. Uh, I wonder whether any, any, um, uh, as a psychiatrist and a psychoanalyst, did you develop any insight into the German war criminals? Uh,
1: no, I had really uh, no uh, no particular interest, in and I didn't study that at all. Okay. All
0: right. It must have been an interesting time, though, uh, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, you became president of the Academy in 1972. Um, do you recall some of your colleagues with whom you were very close at that time and were there any special issues that were going on with the academy when you, when you became president or around that time? Well,
1: uh, yes, there, there, there was an issue <laughs> which, um, um, really caused you know, the only time of friction that I recall of the you know, in the academy, because we really basically had very, very few periods where, where there was friction. But the, the, the issue that arose was, um uh, whether we should admit, uh, PhDs, PhDs to the academy or stay, uh, you know, or remain, uh, totally, you know, just, uh, admit MDs and, uh, uh, the, the thing that very few, few people know is that uh, uh, when the votes were counted in, in December of, uh, it was December 1972, I guess it was, um that uh, <coughs> the vote was just, I think it was, I mean, just a minimum number, two, three people, um you know really um where uh, where I mean, were, were on more we're more on the phd side and then the md side but uh, what happened was that the voting committee this was in winter time and they met and there was a big snowstorm so, they, they, you know, one of the members, you know, came, you know, of the committee arrived late, and the third member got stuck in the snow. That only uh, really one and a half people really sort of was there to tally their votes, and it was called. It was and um, um, decided that it was invalid. So. Um, so you know then, and when it was the, the when we, we voted then in in January, you know, really to make up for this invalid vote, the votes were in favor of the MDS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, so that just by a, a fluke of chance, you know, of a snowstorm, <laughs> you know.
0: We, we, the history would have been very different. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's an interesting piece of history. Yeah. Uh, what type of practice have you had during the course of your career? Uh, you know, what, what, what were some of the cities that you practiced and did you special, yeah. well, specialize in any type of work?
1: No, I, I had, you know, I had many adults. I didn't, um, practice children and I had, Always only private practice, Um and I, uh, didn't really live because I'm married and with the competition of life, that was really <clears throat> much more convenient to have a the private practice where I could arrange my own hours. So, um, uh, uh it, I, you know, that was, uh, I was very fortunate, I think, again, yeah, uh, because <clears throat> I was able to arrange my own time. Um, and <clears throat> you were raising um,
0: children at the at the time, right? You had your children.
1: I was age my children, yeah, and you know, and when they were very young, I, you know, would uh, start practicing really at when they were, yeah, from I uh, practiced in the morning and then I uh, until three o'clock and and then was available for them and, uh you know, after three and was able to participate in the PTA schools and the community and so on. And then, then when they grew up, you know, I extended my hours. And <clears throat> we, I lived in, I had a practice first started in New York and then we were overseas and then we came, we worked 20 years in Washington and then and after my divorce, I went back to New York and was there again for 20 years. So, uh, you know, I still sort of, have practiced, you know, I would say mainly in Washington and New York.
0: You're still seeing patients now, is that, is that true?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and then at, uh, when I was 80, I decided to um, move to the uh, west coast where my uh, sister lived in a wonderful community called Lisa World, uh, um, but, uh, I maintained my office in New York and, uh, <clears throat> uh and returned to it, um, first three times a year for three weeks and, <clears throat> and then later on twice only and, uh, and, uh, you know, in a time, part-time practice and, at the same time, I maintained some telephone sessions um you know first, I had quite a few um, and um and you know that window's down, but I still do have um you know some telephone sessions at the present time, and I still maintain the office in New York, even though you know I'm going there very really, well, I'm going there twice a year uh for three weeks but um you know the Patients I see are all well-functioning patients, and, uh, but life is complicated enough so that when I do come to New York, then en- they enjoy coming to see me.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there any particular writing that you did or presentations that you've made, any original thoughts that you've had that stand out in your own mind? Um.
1: Well, I've um, I've written some papers. Um, You know, I I was always very much in favor of a non-ideological approach and being very flexible in technique. So I I wrote on that topic in in various ways. Uh, The main writing I've done all these last 30 years or something is that I have been a steady uh, reviewer of books for our journal. And that has been uh, very enjoyable because I've been able to, um, you know, sort of keep up a little bit with uh, really new writings in the field, and it has been, um, you know, a very—I've enjoyed doing it, yeah.
0: (laughs) I understand that you're going to be giving a presentation at our meeting, at our 2014 meeting in New York, and I wonder if you can give us a hint of what it might be about.
1: Well, what they, what um, Scott Schwartz and um, Jerry Perman asked me to do is that they wanted me, to, uh, they called it Reminiscence of a Founding Member. Uh, and they wanted me to give them an idea of, uh, the, of what I remembered about the changes in the field. You know, they say since the days of Freud. Well, so that I'm going to talk really about the, the difference in atmosphere between the analysts that... Uh, uh, we in, we're in Berlin and the analysts con, in contrast to the analysts in Vienna, because the atmosphere was very, very different. In Vienna, they were very much devoted to Freud and, um, uh, you know, tried really very much to protect, really, the, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the the Freudian, Freudian, ideology, uh, while in Berlin, they very much viewed psychoanalysis as a new science and felt that it really was very open to anybody's contribution. So, um, uh, you know, it was, Berlin was really a very exciting time during the twenties. So, uh, you know, a lot of, also, people, international people flocked to it. And, uh, uh, because it was really very open-minded and free. And the, uh, and the, uh, and the analysts that, you know, that came from Berlin and, you know, escaped from Hitler were all people like Franz Alexander, Franz R. And Raro, and many others who developed really their own, uh, school of thought or their own thinking. Yeah.
0: Well, um, you are, you are now 100 years old, which gives you a wonderful perspective on life and our field. And I'm wondering if you'd like to make any comments about the state of our profession today and any predictions about the future.
1: Mm, well, I, um, you know, I like the liberalization that has come about because I've always been very eclectic and, uh, I think that, um, uh, you know, we have uh, events basically have very much, uh, you know, managed care and, and uh, really the lack of insurance and so on has very much pushed <clears throat> really the people that have been trained in psychoanalysis to work and, um, you know, not as strict psychoanalysts, but much more be a psychodynamic uh, psychotherapist, like uh, that were psychoanalytically trained and do whatever they think is necessary for the individual patients. So they uh, you know, so that in many ways in terms of what is being done uh, varies a great deal and is certainly also, um, a, a, uh, they, uh, I mean, they also uh, use the approach of family therapy and group therapy and many other things. And so it becomes very, very interesting. And I think I like that direction.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Marianne Eckhart, the 17th president of the American Academy of Psychoanalysis and Dynamic Psychiatry. It's been a great pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. This concludes today's podcast. Your comments are always welcome at mblumenfield at gmail.com. That's m-b-l-u-m-e-n-f-i-e-l-d at gmail.com. This is Dr. Michael Bluenfield wishing you a pleasant day.